You're listening to the LaxRecords.com podcast, episode 9. Today we're talking about the longest game ever played, so let's get started. Hey everybody, Mike here. Welcome to the LaxRecords.com podcast. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. If you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. A little bit of housekeeping, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at LaxRecords, and at Facebook.com slash LaxRecords. You can find all the links to those sites in the show notes, and you can also find them at laxrecords.com. Today's a fun one. Today we're talking about the longest game in boys' high school across history. Now, this game happened in 1985, but it wasn't well known uh, to anyone outside of the Charlottesville, Virginia area. There was people who knew, but sometimes it takes the power of social media for the game to actually come out and see the light a little bit more. And that's how I found out a Twitter user notified me about this game. I spent a little bit of time contacting people at St. Anne's Belfield to verify, and I was actually able to get everything verified, including the local newspaper that was run at that point in time, which added a little bit of information and a lot of fun to this upcoming podcast. So a little bit of backstory. April 4th, 1985, St. Anne's Belfield met Western Albemarle in the first round of the Dogwood Tournament that they played uh, it was a it was a fairly new tournament. St. Anne's Belfield was coached by future Hall of Famer Doug Tearing. Western had its first year varsity coach Mike Caravan on the sideline. Now both of these coaches were UVA grads. Both of these coaches were attackmen, which actually adds to a little bit of humor in this week's podcast. As the final to this game was just four to three. Both coaches are now in the Charlottesville Hall of Fame. Coach Doug Tearing is second all time in Virginia boys lacrosse history. He's second only to Norfolk Academy head coach Tom Duquette. Caravan has gone on to 256 wins as head coach at Denison University, where he has guided Denison to a pair of NCAA Final Four appearances in 1999 and 2001, nine NCAA tournament quarterfinal appearances, and 10 North Coast Athletic Conference championships. So it goes without saying, both of these squads had some talent on the sideline. So it's even that much more interesting that this 14-overtime game stands as the longest known record in boys lacrosse history. Just a little bit of backstory at that point in time. Overtimes were just three minutes long, so you'll get to hear a little bit more about that and how that kind of played into the coach's strategy on the game. So I got to sit with both coaches. Uh, coach Caravana was in an airport. He's doing a little bit of traveling, doing some conferences, so he was generous enough with his time to take about 20 minutes and talk with us. Um, Coach Doug Tearing sat with me as well. So this will probably be the last you hear my voice because I didn't talk very much. So uh, that might be a bonus for some of you. But these two Hall of Fame coaches seem to enjoy reliving this game. So as usual, I'll have links in the show notes. You'll be able to find the list of the most overtimes in history uh, that I have been able to find thus far. And I'll also have links to both uh, information on both Coach Tearing and Coach Caravana in the show notes. And you'll also be able to find it at laxrecords.com slash podcast. So this will be the last you hear me. Let's get to the show. First, let, let's get some some context. Uh, you know, 1985, you know, let's start with you, Coach Tearing. Where, where was Stab at this point in the season? Well, it was early. We always played this tournament at the beginning of the year. It's a big local tournament at that time with the four local schools, yep. Charlottesville, Alamoro, Western Alamoro, and, and St. Anne's Belfield. And at the time, we were um, 0-3, young team. Uh, only had three seniors. Um, so, you know, again, but it's a, it's really the highlight, you know, for the local for the local schools to get this kind of uh, tournament uh, each year. To kind of, it's kind of a good way to kick off the season. Mm-hmm. 
How about you, uh, Coach Caravana? Where was where was Weston Almall? Yeah, well, we were, we were again. We were you know uh, Weston Almall was um, kind of you know in, in the newer stages of developing their program. They are recently you know public school that was just built probably but five six years before that that time. So I mean you know both teams were very young. I mean we have to you know Doug and I will tell you I think is that it was you know and an aptitude of offense. Right? <laughs> I mean even though the game was close, but it was. Both of us kept looking at each other throughout every, even starting in the second quarter, like, is anybody going to score five here? And certainly every overtime, looking at each other, almost laughing, like, you know, we got to get a goal. We got to get a shot that hits the goal, you know, what we mean? Were gonna... and, and things. I mean, we were all, you know, I mean, obviously the credit goes to all the young men who kept playing through it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it was really, you know, struggling, you know, to create, uh, let's just say, you know, good offensive opportunities. So um, it just kept going on and on and on. And with both of us, I think, being fairly, you know, young or new, in our case, I think more in Doug's case was young, is that, you know, then then kids started to tighten up, you know what I mean, as the overtime went, as you can imagine, you know, and didn't want to shoot or, you know what I mean, or didn't shoot mm-hmm. particularly very well, obviously, at all. And uh, anyway, so it was just kind of a, yeah, I was going to ask. A long night, so I was going to ask how how long had each of you been um, head coach at your respective schools at this point in time? Oh well, I I was I I was varsity coach starting in 1979, but I started coaching at Fannin's Bellfield in 1973. Okay, um, and so you know that was when I started. I, I Mike and I are both UVA grads and UVA lacrosse players. I graduated in '72 and played on the national championship team and left uh, Virginia and came right right to San Diego Belfield in the spring of '73, and, and I'm still there. Right. So we, I graduated in '83. So you know, it was really our second year, I think, of playing a second year of coaching, of coaching at, at uh, but my first year of coaching varsity mm-hmm. at Western Albemarle. Um, so, I mean, we, you know, and again, I mean, Doug and I were just, you know, very, very, you know, good friends and I know a tremendous respect for his program and, and his players. And we just kept looking at each other like, are we going to score here or what? I mean, you're going to get the, you know, because the, again, it, it wasn't really, I don't think, you know, uh, uh, it was a good competitive game, you know mm-hmm. what I'm say, but it was kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, lacrosse was really start, starting to kick in a little bit in the Charlottesville area at that time. And as Doug would, you know, beforehand, really St. Anne's was kind of, you know, the, the predominant team. And then the public schools adopted it, I would say, right, Doug? About five, oh, six yeah. years before I got there. So then we put the, so then this, this tournament came together. So it was kind of, like I said, a, a, a way of gathering excitement and goodwill and a lot of the old lacrosse people in Charlottesville around mm-hmm. it. And so it just kept going on and on and on. And, uh, and I think one of our concerns, if I remember Doug and I were both saying, and it was, we got to get these kids to school the next day. I think it was a Thursday. You know, yeah, the, and, teachers, uh, the teachers were all mad at me because none of our guys did any homework that night. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you know, I, I mean, think, you have to really. I think the game started like at eight, then ended like eleven thirty. You know, exactly. Like exactly. Well, and I think Mike, the difference, of course, was, and Mike will tell you. I mean, you know, what has changed so much in terms of obviously the game of lacrosse is when we played back in '85. You know, a couple of things that were obviously very different. We played ten-minute quarters. Um, right. You know, you could substitute on every horn. So the pace of the game was a lot slower. I mean, we obviously right. could get kids on and off the field, and it wasn't like it is now where it's much more up and down. The quarters are longer. There's less stoppages of play. So, you know, neither one of us had a lot of depth. I mean, as I said, I only had three seniors, and most all my kids were underclassmen, and so were Mike. So I think part of the, part of the reason why the game went on was so much fatigue, and I, as Mike and I were saying, we laughed. I was that ready to sit down to Mike and say, hey, you want to switch teams just so we can see, well, you can right. help my guys out. Maybe I can help your guys out. Uh, <laughs> 
But, you know, that was, a, I mean, just because of the camaraderie. And, again, these kids had grown up together. A lot of them were, you know, friends and played the summer together. So, you know, the the game was fun in some ways. In some ways it was just really hard because, you know, as a coach after about six overtimes, you run out of strategy. There was no more X's and O's involved. You say, you know, you yell at your kids. As I said, Mike and I were saying, well, somebody, anybody, please score a goal, you know. Right at that right. point, but uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a historical part of the game. It's for you now for those kids to be a part of it, and you know, looking back, uh, I mean, I don't think you'd ever see a game get to that level again just because one of the skill of the players and two because the way the game is played now, it's just too goes too fast and gets up and down. Nobody, yeah. you know, could play that long. And Mike's right; the kids deserve all the credit. We certainly don't. And he had a great goalie in Wyatt Shield, and we had two good goalies in John Wilkerson. Lars Peterson played from the second half all the way through yeah. 14 overtimes. And, you know, those kids just wouldn't quit, neither side. Yeah. You know. So what do you think was it that, you know, made it go so many overtimes? You mentioned that it was tough to score and it was a young team, but what do you think it was? I mean, obviously to go 14 overtimes, you know, were there any moments where you thought the game was what, what over? Was the length of the overtimes? I was trying to think with the length of the overtimes might have been a little bit shorter, like three minutes. Yeah, I think in yeah, the article that I saw. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm uncertain, but let's say, like, you know, if you didn't win the face, say you win the face off, right? You come down the field, and I mean, you know, when you try to get a good shot off, and then it goes down the other way, and they might get one good shot, and then all of a sudden the overtime is over. Right. And you go back I mean, and I think again. The, game, the, the overall game was definitely shorter. I think what made the game longer was that it won, and whoever got the face off, you call a timeout. Yeah, and because right. we were subbing so much because we could. You know, I mean, again, you did, I mean, at some point you did think, you know, the whole issue of safety, of course, now we're on a whole sure. different level yeah. of safety mm-hmm. evaluations and so forth. But, you know, neither one of us had the, the numbers to go and, you know, because maybe if you're an attacker or a defensive or a goalie, at least the ball was the other end. Right. You know, we had kids, you know, Mike, you probably had five midfielders. I may have had five midfielders. And those kids were up and down all night long. And I think, as Mike said, you know, the first thing that goes when you get tired as a shooter are your legs. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, we just, it was a, it was a test of wills and endurance. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I don't know yeah. if I ever want, I know I don't want to do it again. <laughs> yeah, you were right. I'm looking so, at the article and it said each overtime was three minutes. So, yeah, you're right. There's not a lot of time. Right. Yeah, I mean, so I'm just saying, I mean, yeah, like I was saying, and then, you know, and then when we put in substitutes in both cases, I, I, I mean, I just remember putting in kids who, like I said, who had very little experience. They might have been ninth grade, you know what I mean, or mm-hmm. you know, tenth grade. And after, I think you know, I can always be—I I can remember like third or fourth overtime. Those kids were afraid, you know. I mean, they were more afraid to make a mistake than they were to make a play. If that, you know what I mean. And right. so then you get there, and they're taking a bad shot, or they're, you know, what I mean, or they're not confident shooting. And here are these goalies, who, in fairness to all of them, don't run. You know what I mean? They weren't that tired. You know what I mean? And they, you know, and they knew each other, and they were trying to not let anything in. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I mean, I remember us getting shots, but the shots we looked, you know, I remember Doug and I one time looking at each other going, come on, you got to make a better shot than that. You know what I mean? I mean and, and because the kids didn't have it. You know what I mean? But the goalies, if you think about it, they were the least tired kids. You know what yeah. I mean? And, 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 you know, and, and, and you know, so they were alert. They, they were on top of it. All, all the things that were hurting the shooters in terms of their, you know, focus and tenacity was, you know what I mean, was gaining ground with the goalies a little bit, you know. So. Right. And, Mike, and Mike and I are two former attackmen, so we were pretty embarrassed about the whole thing. <laughs> it, it was rough. It was rough. It was rough for us. I mean, playing at Virginia was rough for, for yeah, both of exactly. us. kind of go 4-3. I mean, the only thing we – I remember saying something to um, to someone afterwards. The only thing that makes us feel better is that it wasn't 3-2. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you mentioned X and O's had gone out of the window at some point. Like, 
what's it like when you get to that, you know, overtime five, six, seven, you know, on to eight, nine, you know, and 14? Like, what are you telling the players at this point? I think, you know, from, well, I think Mike and I both said, you know, it, it, we don't, it's laughable, not in terms of the fact it was, you know, not important, but I think the only thing you can do to the, at that point as far as the, way the game flow is, because, again, mentally they're probably even more tired than physically, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of just laughing a little bit and say, hey, come on, fellas, you know, get a goal. <laughs> but the main thing is you're just trying to encourage your kids and say, you know, and I, kind of, I guess I do remember, I said, look, I said, the one thing I want to make sure is however this game comes out, you need to be proud. You need to be right. proud of your effort. You know, I don't want to see a lot of, you know, um, histrionics after the game where, you know, guys are, you know, getting so I said, you know, this is just a, a really special lacrosse game. Embrace the moment. Enjoy it. And when it's over, because both sure. of us had to go ahead and play the next day. I mean, that was yeah, – this is a local tournament, and this was the first round. So, you know, the reality of it was is that, you know, after we finished at, at, at midnight, Mike was in the finals against Charlottesville. We had to play the early game against Albemarle, and that may have been a much tougher job for both of us to try to, you know, get our kids focused and even think about physically going out and playing within 24 hours. I mean, after a game like that, you used on normally would give kids a day off and, they, you know, don't pick a stick up for the weekend. We had to both go out and, and perform and encourage our kids to go out and play at the same level the next night. And, you know, we won, and, and I know Mike lost, but the Charlottesville team was the best team that year. But I think it's a testament to the kids, just the fact that they could get out of bed the next morning and play. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like it's one of those kind of things where you just, you know, we were just, I mean, again, I think both of our backgrounds coming from myself in Long Island, playing in a really good high school program, dubbed the same in Maryland and in Virginia, we're just like, look, we just, just do the best you can and we'll figure out a way, you know what I mean? And there's nothing to be, you know, be ashamed of and, you know, play in the game and, and then just, you know, we'll come back tomorrow and play another game. What are we going to do? I mean, you know, it's, it's really out of your control. I remember being at a different game when I was coaching it. You know, we were playing Maryland at Maryland. And we were, we were playing the game, and there was a period of time for, like, almost pretty much I think it was the third quarter where each team scored eight goals in, like, four minutes. And Doug might have been on the radio at that time. <laughs> and you're standing there as a coach just kind of going, this game is completely out of our hands. You know what I mean? Like, we, like we have no control of the game. You know, like the kids were making play. At that time, it was the opposite. Everybody was shooting the lights out of the ball. You know what I mean? Every yeah. shot went in, and the goalie didn't say anything. And then, you know, this was the opposite. Like I said, you know, you're trying to get certain players a shot, I think, a little bit. You know what I mean? You know, some of your better shooters are shots. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they didn't have it. And so the goalies were catching it, and, you know what I mean, and mm-hmm. saving it and going back and forth. And I think, like Doug mentioned, between the timeouts, and the change of possession, and each team almost getting, let's say, one possession each per per period. Mm-hmm. Um, so here you go. Now you're into 13 of them where we can score 13 times, and they might have not scored 13 times. In a well, row. And I do after I read the articles, because I think, Mike, you've got a copy of the article. I did. Howard Ripley, who is, a, who is our archivist and, you know, is as loyal a Virginia person as there is, played, you know, played for me and still very involved with Virginia Athletics. I had forgotten that we had hit a pipe in that last overtime. You know, there you go. and uh, you know, and hit the pipe and the ball rolls in the ground. They pick it up. We go down. We foul, and you know, they score an extra man goal, which is always a tough way for any game to end. But mm-hmm. the reality of it was, you know, that was that was a case where, as I said before, I think the fans who were there who stayed stood up and cheered, not because not because of who won, but because it was over. <laughs> I was going to say so. But, uh, that final goal gets scored. What's the feeling at that point? Because you've been playing for three, it says three hours and forty minutes, fourteen overtimes. You know what's what's the feeling at that point? Well, the, for the losing team, it's obviously great disappointment because you know when you're out there and 
putting that much effort into it, I mean, obviously you want to you want to feel like you you know a win is a reward. But you know, as I said, Mike and I have been doing this a long time, and we've been involved in you know some pretty intense games. Of course, Mike coaching at the college level has been in you know big playoff games and so forth. And all you can do is look at your kids and say, "Great effort, fellas. Nothing to be ashamed of." And you know, it, somebody was going to win this game, and it wasn't. You know, it's unfortunate it wasn't us. But hey, we got to. You know, I think at that point, just say, well, you know, we got to get through this and turn around and get up the next day, and you got to go to school, and we got we got a game tomorrow at six o'clock with Al tomorrow. We got to come out and play the best we can. Yeah, I, I think one of the nice things about lacrosse, at least in my experience with it, through all my years of playing and coaching, is anytime you get, I think anytime you get in any one goal game, may end up being in fourteen overtimes in this case, or even you know I mean, one <laughs> goal game at the end of regulation. There's a there's an automatic respect. And I'm trying to say that, that the winning team has for the, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The team who lost. Because you know it's such a hard-fought game, and you know as an athlete, you've been on the other side of that. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of empathy, a lot of respect, you know what I mean? For the, you know, know the feelings of that person. I mean, if you win by 10 or 12, well, maybe these guys are just bad. You know what I mean? And, right. you know, you don't feel as bad. But any any one-goal contest, I think, in lacrosse, even for, for me as both a college player and a college coach through the years, all of a sudden that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. that whole thing changes because now it's like, wow, you know what I mean? We were, you know, anyone who wins a one goal game can tell you, and you've coached them long enough, like Doug and I, you know, you, you know, you end up being fortunate. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? A lot yep. of times. It's not like, you know, one guy makes a great play. But if it is, and it might've been like Doug said, because someone else hits a pipe and misses the play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, something like that. And so you really, there's the humility of it, I think, you know what I mean? And the humbleness of it as an athlete that you respect in the game and then it transfers over to each other's, you know, to your teammates and how you feel about the opposing team, which I think is a good thing in lacrosse. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, yep. that feel that way, so. So and this, I think Mike, one of the things that, and this is one of the things that Mike and I both, obviously, you know, Mike's still very connected to Charlottesville's wife, the Charlottesville girl. In fact, I taught Mike's wife in, 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 as a seventh grade history student, but you know, lacrosse was just starting to emerge at the high right. school level. And, you know, we both came. I went to St. Paul's, played Virginia. Mike went to, you know, Spalink and played Virginia. So, therefore, they, we both came from programs where they were established, you know, nationally high school recognized and obviously Virginia. So, I think both of us looked at it from the standpoint is we were more concerned and more interested in trying to promote lacrosse in our community. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when I, look, when I look back at that game, anything that even though it's 31 years later, anything that says something about lacrosse in Charlottesville, is, is a good thing because it, it, it gives a historical perspective that, you know, we didn't – back then, and Mike and I, but we didn't have college coaches coming to St. Isabelfield or Western Albemarle or whatever. And we had a few players that were played at Division One schools, and maybe each each team had one or two kids that were at that level. Mm-hmm. But the difference is now, I mean, you know, Mike – you know, I've had kids who played for me who played for Mike. Um, right. And, you know, that's the difference now that St. Isabelfield as a, as a school team has – Numerous kids playing at the top level, and Mike, you know, certainly is always. Uh, Bo Perriello, who's our head coach, is one of Mike's closest friends, and their families are close. And so, you know, I think when you look back to 1985, it was kind of an emerging market, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, because neither one of us, we, you know, we had a state tournament that was kind of all inclusive. We weren't part of a conference. The public schools were not even recognized in the state for their own tournament. So, you know, the Dogwood was our was our frankly was our big moment for local lacrosse. Um, and so the fact that we had this game to, to kind of fall back on as being an important moment in our in our local sport, 
I think it's great that we're, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of being recognized. So was there any indication that you guys had made history at this point? I'm sure probably it was the last thing you thought about, you know, once that game ended. But, you know, after a couple of days, was there any indication you were like, wow, that's got to be a record or that's significant in any way? Well, Vic Bradshaw, who wrote those articles and who covered mm-hmm. the game, actually did some research and, you know, checked around and called different places and so forth. I mean, let's put it this way. I don't know how you feel, Mike, but I'm not sure whether I was really really wanted people to know that I was involved in a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, I question mean, it wasn't yeah, like exactly. wasn't like well, something, like, but but it yeah, was just like, I mean, I'm sure it was, but again, it was just like, well, okay, it's in the game and then and it kinda of, again, I mean it kinda of fell off a little bit. You know, I mean people knew about the long game, but I don't know if anyone really knew it could be, you know what I'm say, but it was just a local high school game. Yeah, it was I mean, a different different time. No social you know, media. You know, you had the local newspaper, but right. outside Even of that, knowing nationally, you know, I mean, you, I mean, you know, you might have checked the back then. You might have only checked Syracuse, Long Island, and Baltimore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And th- th- those were your those were your reference points. Okay, well, who knows? It could have been the longest game ever in, uh, you know, in in uh, Asheville, ten in uh, North Carolina for all we know. You know what I mean? For the two teams that just started playing there. So I mean, this wasn't I don't know. This wasn't you know um, something. At the time, but I, I, I'm sure I know. And speaking to Doug, looking back at it, that we were just like, man, now, you know, that's got to be one of the longest games in history. You know what I mean? So yeah. whatever, maybe. But then you really didn't think about it. Like you said, you just yeah. don't know enough if you consider club lacrosse, right? And you know what I mean? All these different things. Like, well, what are you judging it by? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, and, and you, and you, and you might, you know, you're to credit to you to kind of follow up because I mean, I have to believe this is the longest game one because you know, as much record keeping as there is now, and people can certainly look back, so, but. You know, I mean, I mean, if you look at it, in my opinion, it's like since I, you know, covering Virginia lacrosse, and of course Mike knows, I mean, Virginia and Maryland played a six-overtime game a couple, two right. years ago, mm-hmm. and that was considered unheard of to go to go to a game that long. I don't, you know, I don't think Mike's ever had probably more than a two- or three-overtime game at no. Denison in all the time he's been there. So, you know, 14-overtime is the record, uh, which I have to believe it is. You know, I'm proud to be a part of that, I, as I said before. I mean, our kids still talk about it. You know, the kids – the kids who were there, and I think, you know, the funny thing about somebody putting a, putting a T-shirt out and printing it and said, I survived the world's longest lacrosse game. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe uh, you know, maybe maybe that is <laughs> maybe that is our moment to, sure. to, 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 to remember. But, uh, sure. you know, as Mike said, it's, you know, I'm glad it was with Mike. It was because it was with a good friend with two groups of kids that, you know, had a special evening. And the fact is that, you know, when they look back, as we all do, you know, it's something that, you know, will only be a, a once in a lifetime game for those kids and for us. Right, and, and I think, like I said, even even as even as you know, uh, even as, even with the St. Anne's boys who ended up losing, our, you know, a game like that, it was just like, yeah, really, the game. It was more about the overtimes. You know what I mean? It wasn't like who won or lost. It was like, okay, you know, we played in this great long game. I mean, someone's going to lose. You just know that in the game. But it wasn't like, like I said, it was just a, a mutual respect that those kids felt in that, in, in, you know, in that community. And I think that Doug and I felt proud of that, how hard that they competed and, and played. And, and I think that was all, uh, you know, all ended up being a, a positive thing in, in the greater Charlottesville community as the game was starting to blossom, which was good. Mm-hmm.